Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ended 15th July 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, setback for a COVID candidate, Chinese biotechs move into mRNA, Sanofi's strategic moves into haemophilia, Orion's deal for its novel prostate cancer candidate, and Roche's evolving approach to platform deals. The mostly negative results of the Phase 3 trial of Humanigen's anti-GM-CSF drug Lenzilumab in cytokine storm associated with COVID-19 came as a surprise, but the company isn't quite ready to give up on it. Other cytokine storm COVID-19 treatments, notably Roche's Actemra, had also failed trials before succeeding. Humanogen said on 12 July that preliminary data from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases sponsored Active 5 BETB trial testing lenzilimab with Gilead Sciences Vecluri against placebo and Vecluri in hospitalised COVID-19 patients did not meet its primary endpoint, which measured the proportion of patients younger than 85 with baseline C-reactive protein less than 150 mg per litre who remain alive and without mechanical ventilation through day 29. Alaric Yarman writes that there was a trend towards reduced mortality in the overall population, though that result did not reach statistical significance. While this is not welcome news, we are down but we're not done. In fact, we are far from done. Humanogen CEO Cameron Durant told Scrip. He said the company is assessing what potential further development of lenzilimab in COVID-19 might look like, adding that were it to happen, it will be through a partnership with a large platform study group. We are not looking at expending too much company resource in that regard, so a partner would take it, he said. In prior studies, lenzilimab had shown strong efficacy, such as in the Phase 3 live air trial where it reduced the likelihood of patients with severe COVID-19 progressing to requiring mechanical ventilation by 90%. The US FDA initially turned down Humanogen's request for an EUA in September 2021, explaining that it was unable to conclude lenzilimab's benefits outweighed its risks. But the company planned to resubmit for authorization as well as for full approval with the active 5-BETB results. The reason why that trial did not meet its primary endpoint remains unclear, Durant said. In terms of why, we are completely baffled, he added. Nobody has been able to come up with a particularly compelling reason other than, perhaps, sample size. So the benefit, the gains, the number of parameters is similar to the risk reduction that we see with tocilizumab and with baricitinib. So it would be inaccurate to say that there was no effect, Durant said, referring respectively to Actemra and Olimiant both of which have US EUAs for treating symptoms of severe COVID-19. We just didn't hit statistical significance on what was really swinging for the fences. Chinese biotechs are joining forces to leap into the fray of developing messenger RNA as cancer therapies in another sign of catching up with global frontrunners in the race for cutting-edge drug modalities. Dexian writes that the latest entrant is Beijing, and on 6th July, the biotech announced its partnership with a little-known InnoRNA, founded in 2019 as a specialist of lipid nanoparticle-based delivery technology and mRNA drug discovery. 
The two companies will jointly develop several unspecified mRNA LMP programs, with Beijing-based Beijing to hold exclusive global development and commercialization rights for the product candidates from the programs. Shenzhen-based InnoRNA will receive an undisclosed upfront payment in cash and is eligible for development regulatory and commercial milestones, as well as tiered royalties for the mRNA LMP programs. Moreover, Beijing will gain a non-exclusive license to InnoRNA's proprietary LMP technology to support internal discovery efforts, for which InnoRNA will receive an additional upfront cash payment and is eligible for milestones. The deal with InnoRNA marks the second one Beijing has signed in the mRNA space. In January 2021, Beijing obtained an exclusive option to develop and commercialize in Asia, excluding Japan, Australia and New Zealand, up to two immuno-oncology programs using strand therapeutics, intratumoral or systemic delivery mechanisms, which is designed to deliver a tumor microenvironment modifying mRNA directly to the tumor site. Beijing also made a 5 million equity investment in Strand, which is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The Chinese biotech's enthusiasm about mRNA technology seems to have reignited right after global frontrunners in this field reported promising early results from neoantigen cancer vaccine programs. During the annual ASCO meeting in early June, BioNTech presented encouraging phase 1 results from a neoantigen targeting cancer immunotherapy that the German biotech is developing in combination with Roche and Genetech's anti-PD-L1 antibody, Tacentric. Prior to Beijing, the Hong Kong-listed Genor Biopharma on 24th June struck a deal with the Chinese mRNA vaccine and therapy developer Abogen to follow in the footsteps of BioNTech and Roche, according to a filing. Shanghai-based Genor will integrate its antibodies under development with Abogen's mRNA technology to co-develop anti-tumor therapies. The BioVenture also suggested the collaboration program will tap into its bispecific, multi-specific antibodies in immuno-oncology. Beijing, InnoRNA and Genor and Abogen, however, have fallen behind another duo, Shanghai Junqi Biosciences and its compatriot company STEM-iRNA Therapeutics, which have initiated a phase 1 clinical trial in China to investigate stem iRNAs neoantigen cancer vaccine candidate in combination with Junchi's anti-PD-1 antibody, Toripalimab, for advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Having compelling phase 3 data for one new haemophilia therapy would usually be enough cause for celebration. But Sanofi has just unveiled strong results for two potential blockbuster candidates, FNS Octocog Alpha and Fetosiron. Andrew McConaughey writes that the company unveiled the studies at the International Society on Thrombosis and Hemostasis on 10th July and that they could help make it a major player in the field within a few years. FNS Octocog's Phase 3 Extend 1 study shows the recombinant factor 8 therapy can achieve what Sanofi is calling best-in-disease performance. The once-weekly prophylaxis infusion lowered the median annual bleed rate, or ABR, to 0 and the mean ABR to 0.71 in previously treated adults and adolescents over the age of 12 with severe haemophilia A. This not only outperforms older factor VIII replacement therapies, but also the mean ABR rates achieved by Biomarin's late-stage gene therapy candidate, Valrox, and Roche's blockbuster bispecific, 
factor 9A and factor 10 directed antibody product Hemlibra. Sanofi, which will co-market the product with Sobi, submitted the drug to the US FDA last month, setting the breakthrough therapy designated candidate up for an accelerated approval in early 2023. In contrast, Sanofi needs further data for its other late-stage candidate, small interfering RNA therapy, Fitusiron. The candidate, in license from Alnilam, could be used in both haemophilia A and B prophylaxis, but must first undergo further trials at a lower dose than the original 80mg tested because of safety concerns. Those data should be ready by next year, and if positive, will give Sanofi a twin-pronged offering across both haemophilia A and B, which could help it challenge the growing dominance of Hemlibra and provide strong competition for emerging gene therapies, with dosing and administration convenience being part of the equation. Sanofi also presented results from Fetusiran's Atlas PPX study, an open-label phase 3 trial in 80 adults and adolescents aged over 12 years with severe haemophilia A or B, with or without inhibitors, who were switched from prior factor or bypassing agent prophylaxis. The overall median ABR was 0 for fetusiran prophylaxis, compared with a median ABR of 4.4 with prior prophylaxis. Efficacy was demonstrated in patients regardless of whether they had inhibitors or not, making it a potentially valuable addition to existing treatment options, especially in haemophilia B. However, concerns about the risk of thromboembolic events with the product linger. Having successfully partnered Newbecker with a pharma major in Bayer, Orion Corporation has now teamed up with an even bigger player, Merkinco, for another prostate cancer candidate, picking up a big upfront payment into the bargain. Kevin Grogan writes the Finland-based group has unveiled a licensing deal with Merck for ODM208, a first-in-class CYP11A1 inhibitor, which is in a phase 2 trial for the treatment of patients with metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer. The deal also covers other candidates targeting CYP11A1, an enzyme important in steroid production, and Orion will receive $290 million up front. The contract provides both parties with an option to convert the initial co-development and co-commercialization agreement into a global exclusive license to Merck. Orion had previously revealed that it had been involved with multiple interested partners in licensing ODM-208, and getting Merck on board is quite a coup. CEO Timo Lapalainen said the deal positions Orion to harness the potential of ODM-208 while continuing to invest in our other programs without compromising our financial targets. Dean Lee, president of MSD Research Laboratories, said... We believe ODM-208 has the potential to complement our existing program in prostate cancer and look forward to working with the team at Orion. The US giant is no stranger to the MCRPC space, as it has an established partnership with AstraZeneca for the latter's PARP inhibitor, Limpaza. The Orion Merck Pact is one of the biggest licensing deals of the year to date. The upfront is only topped by Gilead Sciences paying $300 million in May for global licensing rights to a tri-specific natural killer cell engager candidate for solid tumours from Dragonfly Therapeutics. Barbara Lukel, Roche's Head of Research Technologies, said in a wide-ranging interview with Scripps and Mandy Jackson 
that the primary change in deal-making due to the ongoing turmoil in global financial markets is that upfront fees in transactions her team negotiates, long-term collaborations around biotech companies' technology platforms have come down from recent highs. The financial market climate does not influence Roche's approach to research technology partnering, she said, because the company's scientific interests remain the same. Tapping into a partner's novel platform to solve a complex problem, like reaching difficult-to-drag targets. Having said that, the current environment helps, I think, all of us on the buy side right now to keep the upfront in particular at a lower level, Lurkel said. And we would argue it's a more realistic level compared to the past few years where the valuations have become actually quite inflated. The real value in a long-term collaboration, she noted, comes from the drug candidates that emerge from combining biotech partners' innovative technology with financial, data or other resources within the Roche and Genentech Research and Early Development Groups, respectively known as PRED and GRED. That's why platform deals generally start with a relatively modest upfront fee, with payments later on as various milestones are achieved. We like to reward our partners when this is happening, as opposed to a high upfront, Lurikil explained. So in this way, we feel the current market has had helpful corrections and upfronts can be a bit more in a realistic range. Rush's thinking about platform technology partnerships has also evolved during the past few years, but with science remaining at the centre of the company's research technology partnering efforts. Roche is looking for generational technologies, which Lurkel described as pioneering approaches in early stages of development, but with unique potential to impact Roche's portfolio of medicines in the future. Traditionally, we asked more the question, OK, here are interesting targets. How can we address them through a novel technology platform, really starting more with a target? And we will continue to ask that question because we have too many, unfortunately, intractable targets, she said. But the evolution now is that we, through our partnerships, can also ask bigger questions, basically big scientific questions about how to address complex challenges. One example is a partnership that Roche entered into in April 2020 with Arrakis Therapeutics that attempts to address drug targets at the RNA level rather than the protein level. The companies will aim to develop small molecules that can selectively target RNA to prevent production of a disease-causing protein rather than trying to selectively inhibit the protein. There are a few key items that are high on Roche's drug discovery and development technologies list. A lot of it is about intractable targets and basically difficult-to-drug pathways, Lukel explained. We look for technologies that are actually cell-based, where things are really happening in a cellular context as opposed to an isolated protein, and try to find technologies that have the ability to work as selectively as possible on targets of interest. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for listening. These stories are just a fraction of those published from Scripps Global Team over the past week, so don't forget to log in to access all of this content or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.